Welcome back. First, Stairway to Sevens pod for 2020. Today, I'm joined, as always, by James Irwin. Morning. <laughs> and uh, we've got a special guest in the studio today, Jovi Ong. The doctor. <laughs> Dr. Ong. Uh, Jovi is the is a pretty uh, pretty accomplished young man, so he's the head S&C trainer, uh, director for UC7s. He's also an assistant S&C coach uh, for the Wallaroos and the head S&C coach for the Women's Super W program. So welcome to the show, Jovan. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, before we get into anything, as always, we've got to, we've got to thank thecover.com.au for all their support so far um, in 2019 and into 2020. Uh, additionally, we probably should start the show uh, a little bit on a somber note. So we're pretty uh, been pretty devastated by bushfires throughout the country, but in particular uh, at the moment in uh, New South Wales and Victoria. So we just sort of found out today that two two fires have joined forces on the on the border, and um, and it's and it's pretty hairy conditions. So one of the things we'd like to do is just mention uh, a good friend of the show, Shani Williams, has set up a GoFundMe page for her hometown of Batlow. So her goal is to there's about twenty houses, uh, twenty homes, twenty families that have been effectively wiped out. They've lost, um, you know, in a lot of cases, livestock. Um, possessions, homes, you know, everyone's safe, thank goodness, but uh, it's going to take a lot of time, money and, and effort to to get all their things back. So she's set up a GoFundMe page for the people of Batlow. Um, so if you head over to her page, she's at Shani Will, uh, you can donate there. The other thing we'd like to do is, you know, for long-term development um, and, and regeneration in, in some of these affected places, we're going to start shouting out some businesses in, in the affected areas. So the first one... Johansson Wines in Tumbarumba, uh, they had basically their entire crop wiped out, so they're not going to have a harvest for 2020, so they're going to be heavily reliant on uh, whatever they had left in stock. So head over to their website, johanssonwines.com.au, buy a case, buy a bottle, whatever you can, and, uh, and support them. So moving on from that, somber note, we've got plenty of sevens, which is pretty exciting. Uh we do have a ton of domestic sevens tournaments coming up. So, firstly, um, there's the Canada Bay sevens, Lake Macquarie sevens, Kiama sevens, Armadale sevens, Inverell, Hamilton. Uh, all of these tournaments are offering prize money, and I believe all these tournaments are male and female, which is really good to see. So, if there are any players listening, the three of us, James, myself and Jovi, uh, are going to put together a couple of teams to play in some of these tournaments. So if there are any of you listening, uh, reach out to us, uh, sevens at thecover.com.au and we will add you to our team list and, and hopefully uh, play a couple of good good tournaments together. All right, so we'll do our, we'll do our uh, preview of the Hamilton Sevens next week, but it, import, important to note the format's changed a little bit. So now in the men's and women's game, it's just the top four teams that are going to qualify for 
Um, I guess they go straight into semi-finals now, so there's no quarterfinals. So in the men's, on the men's side, that means the winner of each pool will go through, and on the women's side, the top three teams automatically qualify, and then it's the next best second place finisher. Do you have any strong views on that, Jimbo? I, I think it'll be good. Obviously, in prep preparation for the Olympics and and the structure they're going to play there, and I think it's really going to put a lot of emphasis on on those pool games, and we're really going to have to start tournaments well. You know, Australia sort of the last two tournaments have had had one or two games that they they probably should have performed better in in the pool stages, and that's really going to you know potentially cost us in these next few tournaments if we're not if we're not on fire from the start. But in saying that, I think that's the whole idea of it is going to be really good preparation, so that when teams get to the Olympics, they know they have to be going from from kick off game one if if they want to get to the top. Yeah, it it, it raises the stakes, which I like. Yeah, it 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 really means you know I think prior to this you could. Really, you could kind of afford to have a game that you didn't play well, or you know, knowing that you're pretty well guaranteed if you were one of those sort of top six teams, pretty well guaranteed to make to at least have a shot at winning a, winning a medal. So, definitely raises the stakes. And then, you know, for for particularly for Australia, um, sorry, particularly for um, America and France in this next tournament, their pool, uh, it means you know you really got to win all those games. Um, so that 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 all of a sudden that third and fourth finisher because you end up in the same pool the next tournament becomes the toughest pool because you know you lose a game you may not qualify. Yes, yeah, and it also gives those those middle rung teams a bit more of a carrot because they can potentially be finishing you know in that fifth sixth spot which they would have missed out on usually. So yeah. there's a, there's a lot more on offer across the board. Yeah. All right. So Joe Biong, welcome. The doctor, <laughs> uh, mate. I get. I guess we'll start. You know, having. You know, you've kind of become a a, a women's rugby specialist. I know. You know, we don't want to pigeonhole you there because <laughs> you can obviously do other things. But yeah. you know, you've been involved now uh, with women's fifteen aside rugby since what 2014, 2013? Uh No, since. Uh Properly involved with them since 2016, but w- with rugby itself um, since 2000, end of 2012. Wow. So really a full year from 2013, worked through um, your local club sort of uh, academy programs and then worked my way through, um, been given lucky enough opportunities to work with um, Brumby sort of rep team, development teams, um, and then transitioned to women's in 2016. Wow, so having having seen, I guess, the full spectrum of women's rugby in terms of you know you probably came in at a time where it definitely certainly wasn't as professional as yep. it is now. Yep. What has for you been the biggest biggest thing you've seen change in that in that period? I think it's the um, approach of the athletes themselves. Um, always like to call them athletes and not you know, specify them by gender like female athletes or male athletes. Mm-hmm. But um, like you said, that, that big leap for them um, from somewhat of an amateur setup into more of a high performance, they've had to change the way they train, their mindset and their sort of approach to the game itself instead of uh, back in, you know, 2014 and up till to about 2016 or whenever the Super W started, it has always been sort of like a weekend of tournaments for their nationals. Mm. And from there, you know, they 
get selected for the Wallaroos and go ahead from there. Um, but now with the new Super W setup, we're into year three now of the Super W setup. Um, you know, they're having to play full 80-minute games back-to-back on, you know, a five- to six-week period. And then from then, they have to... Uh, they get picked into their Wallaroo side. So the approach for them, um, instead of playing uh, the one weekend of rugby to spreading out and having to play X amount of games, um, mm. it has changed the way that they prep themselves um, for the tournaments. And then when they get picked in that Wallaroo setup, they're doing all that training remotely. So they don't really spend a lot of time together as a Correct. as a group of 30 yeah. or, or whatever it is. So that in itself has got to be challenging for the girls yeah. because because they're not necessarily seeing, you know, the girls in the ACT aren't seeing what yeah. the Waratahs athletes are doing or what the Reds athletes are doing. So it is kind of hard to gauge where you're at. Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, as much as possible, um, the coaches, you know, the head coaches will try and share information uh, where relevant to the girls and, you know, give them benchmarks to hit and, you know, based on their sort of um, IPPs, guide them and, make sure that they're all sitting on the same page going into a camp. Um, but you're correct, like, you know, they do go through what they call satellite programs, mm. um, whereby, you know, each state will have their coaches that will take them through skills, their um, SNCs that will take them through their strength program and conditioning. Um, and then, fingers crossed, every, everything, you know, lines up. And then when they get into camp, um, all they have to do is just tweak a couple of things yep. um, and make sure that, you know, they're running off, you know, a good start. Yeah. And having been involved now with Sevens for a similar amount of time, so with UC uh, since 2017, the first Aeon series, and then prior to that, uh, you know, when we used to have the, the Nationals tournaments. Yep. And, and again, you know, back to your point, they used to be one weekend. Yep. Whereas now we're playing, you know, last year we played five. Sorry, two years ago we played five. This year we played four. So, you, you know, you're talking two, two days back-to-back over a, a six to eight week period. Yeah. Um, what is the biggest difference, you know, in terms of strength, in terms of what you do, strength and conditioning? What is the biggest difference you're seeing in athlete sevens athletes and fifteens athletes? But then also, what you know, what what kinds of things are the girls having to do if the, if they want to do both? Yeah, I think uh, both fifteens and sevens. Um, there's, it's a two part question there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, both 15s and 7s athletes are very, very different. Um, you can, s- in a freak situation, you have someone who can actually play both 7s and 15s. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, um, the physical demands of both 15s and 7s are very different. Especially if you're playing in the forwards, like if you're a back rower. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a different game. It's a, d- it's a completely yeah. different game, you're correct. And, you know, most of the uh, 15s girl, um, if they were a centre or if they are, um, you know, anywhere out in the wings based on their height, size, uh, might find themselves playing as a forward in the sevens, you know, yeah. as opposed to being a 15 sort of back specialist per se. Mm. They they find that they have to now pack scrums. They find that, you know, they now have to be more versatile um, playing on the same size field with seven... Half the amount of players. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, in that, in that being said, the shorter format as well means that there's a lot more... Um, high intensity efforts mm-hmm. on repeat um you know as you guys know playing 15s if you're a back playing in the outside back can be lonely sometimes <laughs> in the wing waiting for the balls to come especially if the piggies hog, hog on to the ball especially if you're a tight end prop too because that's where we 
that's where we go and hide out on the edge. <laughs> <laughs> but oh. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, you know, having to prepare the girls um, not only to be able to back up game after game, um, but also to be able to um, perform at that level of intensity every game mm. um, can be a bit of a challenge, um, especially if you have girls who are coming off um, the back of a 15 season. Um, as you know, coaching methods change because the philosophy behind how a 15s player play and the 7s player play may differ a little bit. It's infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it changes as well as, as, as um, you know, high performance. Like, you know, there's yeah. less specialisation um, for a sevens player because they're expected to be able to cover, you know, all positions. Yeah. But if you're a back and you're in the gym for a 15s program, you're not going to be doing the same thing as, let's say, a front row is going to be doing. So yeah. Completely different way of approach there. Yeah. So and what are the what I guess what are the specific things you're doing? So you know if you you know if we talk about someone like Ella Ryan, yeah, who is doing both, yeah, um, you know what are the differences in programming that 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 you have to tweak when she when she transitions from a 15s athlete to a sevens athlete? Yeah, so as a sevens um, athlete, she there's a lot more power involved in her program. Yep. So making sure that um, she does a lot of uh, uh, powerful lifts in the gym, not so much um, heavy, um, just because you know uh, we still want her to be explosive, explosive movements. Yeah. Um, just so that she's able to, you know, um, repeat those kind of efforts on the field as well, being mm. more explosive. Yeah. Um, not does to that, say does that come with more reps too? Uh, not necessarily more reps, yeah. um, but just focusing on the quality of each movement yeah. rather than you know getting too much quantity in, into her. Um, when she goes into a 15s program, um, just making sure that she's able to be stable um, mm. and be able to perform her um, role as a fly half in the 15s, mm. um, be able to stay you know, nice and squared, transition the ball, and then be able to back up you know, in terms of uh, conditioning-wise uh, for the next play. Mm. Um, so, Ella Ryan, I mean, you know, her 7s and 15s roles very much pretty much the same yeah you can, i mean she's not really a prop in sevens but she's not really a forwards in 15s either yeah um the only difference that would be for her is um your main conditioning part like you yeah. know playing playing 14 minutes of footy um as opposed to playing 18 minutes of footy is very different in terms of like you know your physical capacity um mm. conditioning wise well spe especially at fly half like you know jimbo you have no understanding of this because you've never made a tackle in your life, but oh yeah, <laughs> but it's particularly defensively that 10, 10, 12 or you know that that thirty defender or C defender, whatever you want to call it, and the in the ten channel, you're making a lot of tackles through there. So as a as a fly half, it those those really direct high impact and yep. and you and you're making a lot of those throughout an eighty minute game, whereas yep. a sevens athlete. At, at fly half, you know the ball tends to tends to hang out on the edges. Yep. So correct. you're not making as many repeat efforts and, and tackles. Which, correct. Which allows you, I guess, to be a bit more explosive. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and you have those more intense sort of. But it kind of gives you a little bit more time to recover as well in a 15s game because yeah. you might find the, <coughs> you know, you might find the um the forwards taking the ball into contact a fair bit mm. in a shorter period of time well, and that. 
He used to he he just tells them to do it when he gets tired. <laughs> yeah. Minute one, the minute eighty. <laughs> um, and that that allows the back to really set their back line a little bit more. Yeah. Um, you know the uh, the way that you see a lot of fifteens team play now is they have that ten or twelve act as the um, boss or the director mm. of how your pods shape up now. Yeah. Um, they either direct um, their forwards pack to take the ball in or they want to bump ball out the back and they'll play out the back. But that all comes on a decision made whether or not, you know, reading the defence, they're ready to play that or, you know, reading their players, you know, as a fly half, you need to understand that your supporting players are ready to play that. Mm. Otherwise, you're just getting the ball and you have nowhere to go. Yeah. And, yeah. and sevens is much more reactive. Correct. You kind of, you have less time to decide what you're doing. Yeah. And that's why you have to play with depth. 15 aside footy, you want to play a little bit more at the at the line. And that, you know, that inside centre role you, you're talking about, that was something the Crusaders had a lot of early success with. With um, I don't know if you heard of him, Aaron Major. No. <laughs> um, and then, you know, that translated to All Black success as well. You know, he was the architect in the middle of the field that allowed Mertens and Carter, Leon McDonald, those guys to really open up on the edges and also created opportunities, you know, early in his career, Kieran Reid. Yeah, right. So, obviously, Liam and I see a lot of uh, a lot of skill transfer between 15s and 7s with, with the athletes we work with. And a lot of those skills complement, you know, the 7s game coming from 15s with the contact stuff and then back the other way. A lot of, you know, a lot of ball work and a lot of agility work and change of direction really seems to help a lot of those tight 5 sort of players. On your end with S&C stuff, do you see a lot of... Uh, you know, positive transferable skills from from sevens to fifteens, or do you are you feeling like you need to pull them back and almost rebuild them in, into a fifteens player, so to speak? I, ideally speaking, like a footy player is a footy player, right? They 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 should be trained, you know, similarly fifteens to sevens. Um, the only difference there is is specialization when it comes to again the chat between you know. El- not to say Ella Ryan's a poor example, but she plays pretty much similar roles in sevens or fifteens. But if you let's say um, put one of the girls who are back row who have to pack scrum um, in sevens, um, you have what about one hundred and sixty to two hundred and forty of kilos behind a scrum, um, and all of a sudden if you go and you transition that one athlete going into a, a fifteen aside scrum, which is you know an eight person scrum, um, you end up having triple if not. Um, yeah, three and a half yeah, times you're, you're the weight you're behind talking you. Talking seven, eight hundred kilos. Correct, yeah, correct. And obviously, as a scrum expert, the, the scrum sevens and fifteens <laughs> are, are quite different in terms of the, the purpose of them. Like, yeah, fifteen aside, yeah. you're trying to hold that scrum for a longer period of yeah. time, and you're trying to work together as an eight. Whereas in sevens, we're really trying to get the ball in and out, and almost yeah, and that, it, that league style. Yeah, and if you if you've got a good forward pack, if you you know if your set piece is good, you can use that as a weapon for yeah. your backs, so you can dominate. Get go forward before the ball's out, yep. but it, it, you can also wear out the opposition by just holding. Like you know, we're not working hard; we can just hold you here, and, and you're wearing you're wearing the forward pack out. Yep. So they serve two very different purposes. Yeah. Correct, and that, that's how you know the approach would be. Um, the idea of how you pack a scrum and where how much load you're actually taking, like, is whether or not you know, as a seventh athlete, we don't spend too much time. Um, you know, doing their scrum core work. Like, we, we do do that, but not as much as you would for well, 15s it, yeah, athletes it's because more you want to get them really strong in that yeah. position. It's more being able to do it comfortably and safely. Correct. And, and you know, you build a level of, of core strength. But 
Yeah. There's no way you know you'd take someone who's a who's a, who's a back, you know, or or an edge in sevens and throw them into a scrum. It, yeah, a, a fifteen, scrum. a fifteen side scrum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then you know, a, a sevens um, athlete like who's playing on the edge could potentially um, it, pack a scrum yeah, easily. Yeah, easily. As long as they've got you know, yeah. um, and you know, as a as a coach as well, um, you know, as long as they have the basics of how to pack mm. a scrum and they can pack it safely, um, you're only in the scrum for no more than five seconds in sevens. Well, yeah, and you you look at like Portia Woodman. Yeah, she kind of changed the game. Changed, with that. Yeah, yeah, she she. You know, the, and I guess the the um, the coach probably has a part to play there too. But they really revolutionised the game because they turned they took her from a an edge player, put her in the forward pack, forward pack three men three girl forward pack. But now everyone, every team on the World Series now plays with a fast that, forward, the, the double edge. Yeah. So, yeah. so you know it it's, uh, it, it it can be done, and and it's you know it's three or four seconds. You're not yeah. talking, you know, sometimes. You know, if a, if a scrum is really evenly matched, you might spend thirty to forty seconds with the ball in just a fifteenth. Yeah, yeah, with correct. the ball just chilling in the middle. Yeah, because yeah. no one can get a hook. Yeah, nah, even, Jim, even Jimbo can scrum. <laughs> 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 and and when you mentioned Portia Woodman, um, you know the likes of Shani Williams who played, yeah. you know, a full yep. HSBC seven se- series. Yeah. Um, then backed up and played the uh, previous uh, women's World rugby Cup. World Cup, but obviously, you know, she played, you know, within the uh, back line, and you know. In sevens, she's much of a forward. She packs yeah. scrum, and she's always yeah. in there carrying those big line yeah. uh, line breaks and stuff. But she wouldn't necessarily be involved. Well, she's never going to be involved in a scrum <laughs> in a 15s <laughs> format. So training her as an athlete, um, not that I've ever trained her before, but training her as an athlete, um, you know, there, there will be some sort of um, transition between sevens to 15s, mm. um, but it ultimately comes down to the specialization of um, sports specific stuff or you know 15s or 7s format that and it, it's probably why we don't see a lot of front row forwards and second row forwards come across to sevens and it's not yeah. it doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily because they're not fast enough or they're not athletic enough or they're not skilled enough yeah but it's it's what you're saying about those ex- explosive movements um, you know they're conditioned to dominate set piece, they still need some speed. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they're they're, condi- they're I guess they're conditioned in a different way. Yeah. So you know, if you look at someone like Abby Gastidis, is maybe a good example of this, where she uh, played the Women's Rugby World Cup yep. for USA as a back rower. Correct. Um, and then pretty well for the next twenty four months, dedicated herself to sevens. Yep. And it took a a two year cycle to get back. Yeah. To, to to being a sevens athlete. Exactly. And and then. You know, similarly speaking for, you know, Tom Cusack who came off mm. playing sevens first and then, you know, went into the Brumbies to play fifteens. Like it took her it took him a good, you know, two years mm. to put well, on some weight yeah. to be able to play in that background. And uh, you know, that's that's a that's a really good point. Like he I think he he played sevens at about eighty eight or eighty nine kilos. Yeah. And then he comes back to the fifteens side game and, and needs to be about hundred and five. Yeah. You can't you can't put that weight on in a season. Yeah. And we're talking quality weight here. We're not talking McDonald's you know, weight. McDonald's weight, KFC. <laughs> you know, pile on one liter of ice cream like Jimbo does. <laughs> got to do what you got to do. There's <laughs> not, nothing wrong with a good liter of ice cream after a game of footy, Joven. It's good for recovery. <laughs> um, now, obviously, like as coaches, we work a lot with you know just just sevens girls, and obviously the recovery between games is is very important, but. You know, as, as you've been across 15s and 7s for, for a long time now, 
what do you sort of feel a is is the most important sort of recovery tools across the board and then sort of where 15s and 7s differentiate in in the way athletes have have got to recover i mean 15s game you you get bashed up a lot right um so you, you take a little bit more time to recover because you play one game a week Mm. Um, which means, you know, Sunday typically, you know, as an athlete uh, in a 15s format, um, they need to, well, not Sunday, but like, you know, if you play a game on a Friday and and Saturday, but the day after, um, typically um, is a lot of um, ownership on the athlete themselves um, to really make sure that they're hydrated because they have played that 80 minutes of football of football, getting enough um, of their macronutrients in, whether it be carbs, proteins, um, fats, to make sure that they're actually regenerating their body and making sure that they're giving themselves the best opportunity or giving their bodies the best opportunity to recover. Um, On top of that, you know, looking after their soft tissue, um, managing whatever niggles they have, whether it be jumping in an ice bath, going into um, a pool and just doing a couple of laps laps and stretching in there. Um, It's all about... um, having that next day to recover prepare and then you can go hit the ball running again on you know day two or game day plus two um in your training session uh whereas if you look at sevens athletes um they can go anywhere from three to four games in a day um especially in the aeon series um you know most 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 teams have to play a four day um, at least one four four at least one four game day um And that, and that means recovery is really quick. You know, we need them to have that um, best response um, from that recovery. So that really starts um, from day one of, you know, preseason training. Like how mm. do we actually teach them or educate them that recovery and what sort of methods are best for you to recover within a short amount of time, which is we can say anywhere between an hour um, to two or three hours. Has that has that been a big change as well? I know we spoke about it earlier in in their training, the approach to training. But has that been a change with the athletes too in the way that they they seem to value recovery or they approach their recovery? Yeah, definitely. You see a lot of um, you know traditionally in fifteens, you know, probably still happens now. Box after of beers, a couple of cigarettes after the game. Yeah, donuts, pizza, <laughs> whatever it is that comes out. Yeah, the gluten. <laughs> You see a lot of sevens athletes now, they really value what they put into their body mm-hmm. and really look after themselves. Like we're fortunate enough to have a team um, in 2019 Aeons who are really drilled into their recovery. As soon as they get back after a game into the tent, they either have their legs up, um, they're you know having a protein shake or they're jumping into the ice bath or doing some stretches or jumping on the physio table to get whatever niggles they need you know, released done um, so that they're prepped and ready again to go in the next hour, if not, you know, two hours to play the next game and, again, perform at the same intensity. Mm. Um, Is that something that you sort of mentioning between games that athletes are doing different things really well? Over a tournament, is consistency in recovery really important? Like, not just recovering because I am sore, but but just consistently having the same recovery process. 100%. 100%. Recovery is an ongoing process for every athlete out there. You know that you go to the gym, um, you do a big session, you need to be able to recover from that, you know, session to be able to back up again, whether it be going on the field after that or, you know, going into the next gym session might be 48 hours after that or 24 hours after that. Like, it's always... Like recovery is a crucial element to being able to give yourself as an athlete the best opportunity to perform 
um, which ultimately gives the coaches you know an opportunity to see you at your best and then gives you an opportunity to play at the top level um, and you and you see all these different recovery practices um, that each you know team does um, there's no right or wrong in something but you know there's n- again at the same time there's no one size that fits every sort yeah. of method yeah um, whatever works for you know you Jimbo might be different to whatever works for Liam so you might want to go for a an ice bath but you know Liam might not want to do that because you know to too busy him, drinking beers in the in the shed <laughs> <laughs> it might stiffen him up a little bit too much so he will want to you know stretch out and roll out a little bit more yeah is it, it uh, is it something you're working with the players on in it, like a bit of trial and error so you know based on your experience if an athlete comes up and says oh you know i feel like you know i feel like i'm lethargic or or whatever is it is it are you are you actively trying to give them strategies to to recover yeah yeah definitely um it's a lot of um, feedback from the athlete themselves as well. Yeah. Um, they find what what works for them. Um, they're usually quite in tune with their bodies, mm. and they understand what works for them best to be able to give them that opportunity to go again next. Um, and obviously, at sa- sometimes we'll have to, you know, force them to do se- not force them, but like ask them to do certain things because we know that that will actually have some um, benefits carrying over towards their performance. Um, even though they might not like it, um, you know, they, they need to do it. Um, but a lot of athletes would understand whether or not, you know, having an up and go would make them feel too bloated two hours later. That means it hinders their performance. Mm. Um, where, whereas, you know, someone else might want that because it gives them that carbs and that protein and it fills them up and it gives them that opportunity to then um, perform at a higher level again. You know, someone might want to have a banana and some hydrolyte after, you know, a game, and that's enough for them to be topping up. Um, and that's the sort of different methods that they, they'll, they'll take in terms of uh, approach to recovery. Yeah, I think the other thing that, I, that I've noticed, which has been a big change, especially from when I was a player, is the, the mental recovery stuff is starting to become more, in, more and more important too. So yep. I know... Mindset. We, yeah, but I know we, you know, we um, asked the girls not to be on their phones for an hour after mm. after after uh, a game and we also asked them you know to focus sort of be insular focused focused on footy yep. so not not worry too much about their parents or or yep. you know other coaches trying to text them or or whatever whatever it is they you know being in insular focused certainly when I was a player we never really spoke at all about mental recovery yep. and you know I think it was probably to our detriment a little bit yep. um you know it is it's it's different for sevens athletes because they're they do it, yeah, as you say. They're doing it four times in one in one day. Yeah, but you know it, it is hard. Uh, when I was a player, I'll, I'll share an example. I was very hard on myself yep. individually. So if I had a poor game that night, generally, I would sit up until five or six in the morning, <laughs> just replaying every mistake that I made over and over and over and over again. And then I would wonder why when we would have a gym session or recovery session or whatever, Monday, Tuesday, yep. while I was still cooked. Yeah. Because you're not getting that, you know, mental yeah. shutdown and getting yeah. your um, rest that you, your body, you know, needs. Yeah. And yeah. often, you know, often when I, when, I, when I had access to it, I was watching footage too. And I was <laughs> lying in my bed on my computer watching all so the, you're all essentially the playing your game yeah after you've played uh, your yeah, game again yeah. <laughs> 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 trying to figure out what you did wrong and fix yeah yeah um i think a lot a lot of the thing is um 
you know, we tell a lot of our athletes to have that switch off, like switch mm. off mentally, um, especially in sevens. If you have, you know, three or four games back to, ga- back, to back in a day, um, you want to make sure that you get that mental switch off away from the game. You, c- you can reflect on the game, but not to play the game again, again yeah. in your head, but also just, you know, have those little, I know, five, ten minutes to be able to reflect on what you did wrong or what you can improve on your game and look to bring that to your next game. Um, but at the same time, like, you don't want to be playing the game you're about to play in your head before you, you run on the field. Yeah. And, you need to be present in the moment. And, and that's that's a really good point because I think, for me, I would then take the previous game and all the things I did wrong into the next game. So I was thinking... I was going into a game thinking, oh, well, if this happens, this is what I did last time and so I can't do that and I've got to do something else. Yeah. And there's a lot of research now that, particularly in, in sports psychology, and, and the All Blacks actually are, are the, the key example of this, is where they, they had a, a sports psychologist come in, talk to all the players, talk to all the coaches, all, all the front office administrators, and the biggest thing that they realised was that everyone was concerned about what had happened at the last World Cup. So they were worried about, <laughs> yeah. you know, they were worried about all the times that they didn't win the World Cup. And then as soon as they flipped their mentality to let's control what we can control and let's control what's in front of us, let's control how Same. we react to what's in front of us, let's be present, yep. they started to play, you know, they went on a tear of pretty pretty well the next 15 years <laughs> where they <laughs> were almost unstoppable. 100%. Yeah. Is that somewhere you feel in sevens with recovery where – Quite lucky in a sense is that, you know, a player can have a bad game, yeah, you know, game two, day one, and then an hour and a half later they they get to go again. So they're, they're not – they don't have the ability to stew on these things for a long period of time. Whereas when we're yeah. playing 15s, you know, you have you have one bad game, you stew on it for six days, yeah. and then all of a sudden you, you're trying to get yourself up to play again. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like, you know, we, with the girls, they get that opportunity um, to do it again. But – the same time with the format of sevens, it's such a reactive game. Mm. What you did wrong in one game, you might not see that scenario again in the next game. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's not like you want that athlete to be able to reflect on that and think, oh, this is what I've got to fix for the next game. But if that opportunity doesn't arise in that next game, they can't fix that. And then all they have in their head before kickoff is, I've got to do this, which I did bad in game one. I've got to do this in game two. And if that opportunity doesn't arise in game two, then they're so focused on that one thing that they forget about the whole game itself and being able to, you know, perform and be, again, like you said, reactive to the game. Whereas in a game of 15s, it's a lot more structured. You can see that scenario again, Mm. you know, more often than than ever in sevens um, in a 15s game and look to correct what you did wrong in the previous game. Yeah, I guess that's why in, in sevens and tournaments, the recovery between games is so important physically to give yourself the opportunity to be to be present for every game. Yeah. So, you know, as Liam said, control what you can control. You yeah. know, if you're not going to see that scenario for the rest of the tournament, then, you know, forget about it. Focus yeah. on getting your body right for the next one and, and go again. Yeah. yeah. It's not so, like, again, when we talk about, you know, mental, mentally switching off, um, like we said previously not to play the game again and not to anticipate that scenario again in the next game because if it doesn't happen, don't worry about it. Mm. Play what's in front of you. Whereas, you know, in 15s, like, depending on the team you're playing, they might be playing a different structure, you know. um, You might see that same opportunity again or they might play a different defensive structure. You might not see that opportunity again until two, three weeks later down the track when you play them again. 
talk to us a little bit about because we actually tried to do a bit of this, you know, this meant this idea of mental recovery and, and reacting to what's in front of you. Talk a little bit about those mental games that we played with the with the athletes between their their reps in yep. the gym. Yeah. So this year, what we implemented was, um, you know, they'll do um, the the athletes will go off and um, do a set in the gym and it would be something like a pretty strenuous set. So mm. something like a heavy squat into like some box jumps without anticipating when they're going to be called up. Um, the coaches pull them aside and, you know, ask them a question about um, the game, mm. or ask them a question about the playbook. It could be something random like asking them, um, you know, what's one plus one. Mm. Um, so after doing sort of like a really, really heavy set or something like that, um, half the time they're quite you know, fatigued and they're not really thinking about mm. other things. And when you catch them off guard, they that's how we sort of switched up mentality to having been present in a mm. moment because you'd now have 30 seconds to solve a problem or give an answer to coaches. So it, it, it doesn't necessarily, you know, train them to react to something on the field, but it allows them to be mentally, um, you know, robust to be able to, Stay in the pr- in the moment and be present and actually react, mm. you know, to what's happening in front well, of them. That's one of the biggest, probably one of the the toughest transitions from a from fifteens to sevens is often when you pass the ball in fifteens, your job's done. You you're not necessarily going to be required to hit that ruck or you know get there for a scoot at, at halfback. Yeah. Whereas in sevens, you need you need I pass the ball. To Jovi, if Jovi gets tackled, that's that's my clean out. Yeah. So you need you you know you need to be present. You need to react yep. to what's in front of you, but you also need to be thinking about what's my next job here. Yeah. Yep. And I think that's one of the biggest thing as coaches. You know, I've I've sort of observed that the thing that you guys need to train the girls out of from 15s to 7s is that depth. Most depth, <laughs> yeah. But most of the time, when they hit a pa- when they make a good pass, they stand and they watch yeah. and they don't hit the next which is what what a lot of uh you know which is what has been done a lot for you guys um last year 2019 was to teach them to follow your pass and you're the next mm. you know you're at the next breakdown the next involvement next involvement what is your next involvement yeah and you you know i as a as a f- front rower in 15s, I had a lot of games where I would score tries because I would make the right decision and, and play within the structure and get the ball to where it needed to go. But then I would just track that pass or run down the middle of the field. And I can't tell you how many times the ball would come back to me and I'd look like a hero when really I was just being lazy <laughs> <laughs> and following the ball. <laughs> but, it, you know, you look, at, you, look at the way, you look at the way you see we scored a lot of our tries. It was from that second effort. Second effort. It was a it was a, a ball back to the inside or a, you know a tackle and then we go again. And a lot of the way the top team scored those tries, they you know they, it's it's you wear out the defender by doing those pop passes mm. when you know you make a pass and you're supporting in that you know uh, in that next play, um, you know you not only you tire out the defense but it becomes something that's hard to defend. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, Jovi, I've. Thoroughly enjoyed your time this morning. Uh, we don't spend enough time together as it is, so <laughs> no. Thanks for <laughs> no. thanks for coming into the studio. Three coffees a day. Yeah, uh, O'Keefe, 
Sorry, mate. Next week, mate. Jovi, Jovi took up your, your slot again. The doctor. He just, he just, we, we just enjoyed talking to him too much. We didn't have <laughs> enough time for you. So apologies. Uh, thanks again, Jimbo. Not a problem. Been a pleasure. We'll be back next week. We'll do our Hamilton Sevens preview. Uh, and thank you to the cover. Head head on to Shani Williams' uh, Instagram and, and donate some money if you can. Or head over to Johansson Wines and and buy a bottle if you can. All right. Thanks again. We'll, we'll talk to you all next week. Sit in jail on the moon.